This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it's our Spooktober bonus or boonus episode. <laughs> no, bone us, but like with like a bone, like skeletons. <laughs> okay, that's good. And we are here to choose a spooky adventure in Terror on the Titanic, a Jim Wallace joint. Um, we are live with our Patreon chat. For more information on how to join our chat in the future, go to patreon.com. Um, this is going to be a rollicking good time, I hope. Now, somebody says that we're we're screaming this live on the internet, which is good. Oh, that good is good. That is good. Um, so we are going to journey into this Titanic book in a few minutes. But, mm-hmm. Andrew, I think we want to make sure that we were on sure footing with regards vis-a-vis the the big bad boat yes vis-a-vis the big bad boat <laughs> um <laughs> big so, crappy boat so i i did what i always do when i need to learn things and i googled titanic facts for kids mm-hmm. and i was sent to sciencekids.co.nz um which has some titanic facts and it kind of tells like a little bit of a story so i'm going to read all these facts and you're just going to kind of get the shape of the life of this boat. Yeah, tell me about this crappy boat that they built. The Titanic was built between 1909 and 1911. It was 882 feet in length and 175 feet in height. Same. The Titanic had a crew of 900 people. The Titanic's engines were powered by pressurized steam from burning coal. Mm -hmm. It was a luxury passenger liner that carried some of the world's richest people as well as others... Looking for a new life in North America. It's intended a bunch of dances down in steerage class or whatever it was. Its intended course was from Southampton, England to New York City. It left Southampton on April 10th, 1912. It collided with an iceberg and sank on April 15th. Mm-hmm. While the Titanic carried over 2,200 people, there were only lifeboats enough for 1,200 of them. Over 1,500 people died because of the sinking. The remains of the Titanic wreck sit on the seabed 12,000 feet below the surface. Like, these facts were like, here's a boat. Here's the cool boat stuff it did. It's dead. The boat's gone. The boat's gone. It was a bad boat. So some of the fun stuff about the Titanic is that it was famously billed as unsinkable. Yep. And it turned out to be imminently sinkable. (laughs) And... It was so sinkable that there were a lot of, like, regulations and changes to how boats were made and how, you know, they were outfitted with lifeboats and stuff because of how bad the Titanic sinking was. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, I also found uh, another website of Titanic Facts for Kids, and this was Mm coolkidfacts.com. And I just want to... It's all very reputable sources that you've 
found. Yeah, I just want to share two bullets from this whole section. It opens, you might have heard the famous RMS Titanic luxury ship, which sadly sank after hitting an iceberg on April 15, 1912, on her first voyage ever. Let's explore some awesome facts about the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And it says it took three years to build and cost $7 million. Wow, she must have been one special ship. Eight of the 3,000 <laughs> construction workers who were paid $10 per week died during construction. Wow. Wow. What a this special boat killed ship. all kinds of people. <laughs> That's very spooky, actually. This is kind of a monster boat that killed lots it, and lots of people. It killed people as it was coming to life. That's true. Um, so you, Andrew, looked up some facts. Now, not you know, some boats are like zombies and they come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear there's another Titanic on the way. Yeah. So okay. So you have this big, dumb, stupid boat, right? And it's a boat that hubris sank. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the f- the first thing that you want to do, right, because of James Cameron's 1997 film you know, generating a bunch of more interest in this boat and everybody loving this boat forever now. Um, they're gonna they're gonna make a new boat. It's called the Titanic Two, and they're gonna sail it along the same route. And <laughs> I guess we're just gonna see what happens. Anything now, you can I, do, I can do better. Jeez, <laughs> and I I assume because of climate change that there will be fewer icebergs for it to hit, and so it will be fine. Yeah, probably. I also assume that they're gonna make it safer in some way. Yeah, it's actually going to so it's going to be a little bit it's going to be able to hold more stuff than the original Titanic. Um it's going to have a gross tonnage of uh 56,000 while uh-huh. the original ship measured about 46,000. Okay. Okay. Um it was announced by an Australian millionaire in April of 2012. Um the original launch date was 2016 and then delayed to 2018 and now it's 2022 and it made the news um a few days ago because you know, I don't I don't know why these things like crop up the way they do, but this isn't a, like a new project. It's it just seems, they, they announced that it's finally back underway. It now. seems like the Fire Island Festival or whatever is called for boats for mm-hmm. like cruise ships. The Fire Festival? Fire the big Festival. Scheme, scam? Scam? Yeah. Maybe, maybe Jaw Rule's involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to tackle this book. Uh, and if you have not listened to a Choose Your Own Adventure book before... Um, we are going to take turns reading the pages and making the choices, uh, and we are going to give ourselves about three-ish lives, depending on what happens and how mm-hmm. long it takes for us to die or mm-hmm. have something happen. Um, Andrew, you and I have uh, at least sketched out some of the types of people we might meet, just to give so, ourselves a leg up on this live yeah, so episode. The way, the way these go is that we do character voices, because we're reading a book to you, and we want you to be fully immersed in the world, and so we have we have compiled, because normally we have to like guess and cast around a little bit before we find it, and since we're doing it in front of people, we made a list of the kinds of voices we think we can do. Yeah, and we're not going ro- to ruin them for you now aren't, aren't we okay i want them to be a surprise okay sure and then we can maybe talk about what we've named some of the voices yeah afterward but um so so i don't know that we're gonna let y'all in the chat like influence our choices but we might like if you got preferences let us know and we'll just see we'll see what goes uh i did notice andrew this book was originally published in 1996 mm-hmm. uh which is a year before the hit film so that's where so, James Cameron got the idea from. That's definitely, canon now. Yeah, that definitely that's where he got the idea from. I wonder if there's a Choose Your Own Adventure book that inspired Avatar, my favorite franchise. Um, 
<laughs> Second one's coming. So, uh, do you want to take the beware and warning, Andrew? Do you sure, want? Sure. Okay. So, I guess we should start with the cover here. Yes. Um, and it's of a boy and a woman like hanging onto the side of the Titanic. So apparently they're like flying off of it before it's even sinking. Yeah, um, kind of. It's unclear whether or not the Titanic is moving horizontally or vertically or both in this well, my image. Video is better than yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that now that you're looking at it, right? No, it's, I really think it's just the lighting. Okay. Um, okay. So the beginning of every Choose Your Own Adventure book starts with a warning and kind of instruction about how this isn't like a regular book. So <laughs> beware and warning. This book is different from other books. You and you alone are in charge of what happens in this story. There are dangers, choices, adventures, and consequences. You must use all of your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence. Whoa. Not all of it, but much of it. <laughs> the wrong decision could end in disaster, even death. But don't despair. At any time, you can go back and make another choice, alter the path of your story, and change its result. So that's not really how consequences work. But no. I think maybe they tweaked it a little bit for the reissue in 2011. Yeah, because this this is the reissue, and I don't remember these warnings having a, like, don't worry, don't be scared. Don't, None of your like, choices it's okay are if you mess up. You don't have to burn the book <laughs> and start again. It is April 10th, 1912, and you are headed from London home to New York to continue studies as a classical pianist. You have already garnered quite a bit of prestige, so your hopes are high. You are traveling on the RMS Titanic under the supervision of your father's business associate, Andrew Temkin. However, your faith in this large ship's infallibility is quickly to be deterred, (laughs) as this crew is much too distracted to notice impending icebergs. (laughs) You'll have to be on your toes every second, or else this voyage is going to end much more abruptly than you had planned in the icy northern waters of the Atlantic Ocean. This is already way more character setup than we have ever gotten in I'm, one of I'm these I'm curious books. to know if this is like an Inglorious Bastards thing where it's like an alt history and the Titanic doesn't sink if we're good enough at the story or if or at the piano. The sinking is a is a um is a foregone conclusion and we just have to survive it as best we can. Yeah. Okay, we got to save this boat from its distracted crew, I suppose. <laughs> Watch out for icebergs. Here we go. You can start on page one. Okay, page one. You stand on the deck of the RMS Titanic, that the brand new White Star Ocean Liner. She's the biggest, most luxurious ship in the world, and she's on her first voyage across the ocean from Southampton, England to New York City. The date is April 10th, 1912. All checks out. Great. The ship has <laughs> so just pulled away so <laughs> from Southampton Quay and is moving into the River Test. A huge crowd walks along the quay, following the great ship's progress down the narrow river channel. The Titanic glides by the New York, a smaller ocean liner moored at the sh- at the side uh-huh. of the river. Get out of here, you tiny, stupid ocean liner. You watch as the smaller ship is sucked toward the Titanic. Bang, bang, bang! You hear several loud reports, like gunshots. Looking down, you see the ropes holding the moored ship arc high into the air. They must have snapped. The New York begins (laughs) to swing away from her mooring directly toward the Titanic. You gasp and grab the railing, expecting a shuddering impact. As you watch, the Titanic slows to a drifting stop, and the bow of the New York swings past her port side. A collision is narrowly avoided. That was a close one, says the tall, gaunt man standing next to you. He has a pale, lined face with a thin, grim mouth. He speaks with a lilting Scottish accent. Oh, no, he doesn't. Dang it. <laughs> if you could change your feet, no, would you? No, please. <laughs> it's a bad way to begin a maiden voyage, a bad I omen. To, 
I refuse to do this. You're, we're doing the first voice. Turn to the next page. It says he's Scottish, and I had no, to do we my choose the adventure. This is, this is our choice. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll do the gruff voice. He's a gruff, gruff man. Mm-hmm. Okay, page two and three. Andrew, take it away. Okay, so this is a middle-aged Englishman, so I think we'll we'll just break out. Okay, some kind bad bad, o- <laughs> bad omen. Pa, I'll get into it when we get some more words. Says a middle-aged Englishman standing nearby. A watch chain hangs from the brocade waistcoat button tightly around his stout middle. He sports great gray mutton chop whiskers. There's nothing to fear. Is this Australian? <laughs> just go for it. The the technic a what the technical journals I've read says she's unsinkable. She's a wonder shit. I says the tall sighs the tall man knowingly. She is she is indeed a wonder ship, a mighty ship. But the ocean is mightier still. Many a mighty ship has kissed the bottom of the sea. Gross. <laughs> With that, the man turns and walks slowly away. Don't listen to him, says the Englishman. This ship is beautifully engineered. I tell you, she can't sink. Turn to the next page. So we've got a little shot of the boat here before it dies. Um, Great. Uh, Okay, so what is my classical pianist voice? Um, uh, She is beautiful and enormous, you say. Sam. Gazing up (laughs) (laughs) The Titanic is 900 feet long and has four huge funnels. Her hull is painted a shiny black and her deck superstructure is white. I, I'm really uncomfortable with the whole ships being women convention right now. Cause Many a so, ship has kissed at the bottom of the sea. Her yellow funnels with black tips rise 60 feet above her top deck. <laughs> it does seem unbelievable that such a massive ship could sink to the bottom of the ocean. Still, the <sighs> Scotsman's comment has chilled you. Uh, oh, so you're an American, says the Englishman. He extends his hand. The name is Stites. Were you on holiday in England? No, you say, shaking his hand. I've been in London for the past month studying classical piano. A a classical pianist, eh? Says Mr. (laughs) Tights. So you've been in England alone, then? No. (laughs) This is a lot of dialogue up front. No, my father was with me. He has an an import-export business. He had to stay in London to meet a client. I'm returning to New York with his partner. Import-export, you say? Would the name of your father's partner be Andrew Temkin? Asked Mr. Stites. You nod. Yes, I met the chap just before we boarded. He told me he bought himself a black Rolls Royce. Yes, it's on board. He's taking it back to New York, you say? What is happening? (laughs) This movie sucks. Go on to the next page. You know, you should meet my daughter Jessica, says Mr. Stites. (laughs) Now I'm getting into it. She's just your age and a very agreeable lass. Whoa. (laughs) I'm sure the two of you will get along famously. She had to go around with the violin for a time, but science is her wicket. That's where the future's headed, you know. (laughs) Science and not music. She'll be good company for the voyage. Mr. Stites' mention of Andrew gets you thinking about him and the gold Buddha statues that he and your father imported from Siam. The box containing the statues arrived at the office in London while your father was out. Andrew was excited but seemed hesitant to open it in your presence. He asked you to run an errand. When you came back, your father had returned, and he and Andrew were examining the two statues, each about a foot high. They seemed disappointed. The workmanship was poor. Worse, the statues weren't solid gold but made of lead painted with gold leaf. Your father grew angry and vowed he'd get even with the Siamese traitor who had cheated him. Andrew supported your father and agreed the traitor was a scoundrel. Something about his manner made you suspicious. In contrast to your father's genuine rage, Andrew's reaction seemed mild. You don't trust him, and you aren't happy to be sharing this transatlantic journey with him. 
So obviously he took the statues. Okay. Yeah. Uh, turn to page seven. We've got a picture of a fortune teller here, I think. Sure. Uh, over the next few days, you and Jessica Stites explore the ship. It's like an immense, fancy floating hotel. There's a Turkish bath, a swimming pool, a squash court, a gymnasium, a barber shop, a hospital, a post office, and several restaurants and cafes. <laughs> post office. <laughs> now my stamps.com ad for the Titanic. Hey, I'm going to send a letter from the boat to London, I guess, and we'll see who gets there first. Uh, late Sunday evening, about 1130, you and Jessica are in the first class lounge on oh, A-deck. Jessica. You've been there for a couple of hours playing cards. Oh, Abruptly, Jessica puts her cards down. So this is the tall, gaunt man's daughter? No, this is the Mr. Stites' daughter. Oh, Mr. Stites', Mr. Stites's daughter. Um, okay, I'm just going to pull... Uh, she's also she would also be English, okay. Like Mr. Stites, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm bored playing gin rummy. <laughs> she folds her arms and pouts. <laughs> Jessica is bright and generally agreeable, but you realize she's a little spoiled. Um, that game was getting boring, especially because you kept winning. Let's go out on deck and see what's going on up forward. You suggest. <laughs> Uh, that's ship lingo. That's, uh, sure, that's okay. the boat language. Sa- same ocean up there that's back here, she answers, still wearing that pouty look. Then how about the Marconi room where the radio transmitter is, you ask? I know one of the men who operates the radio there. Wait till you see, it's huge. That does perk her interest. I <laughs> you know, know how to Morse- show a girl a good time. <laughs> I know Morse code. Did you know that? My father bet I couldn't learn it, and I did. Turn to the next page. Oh, Give boy. me a choice. Still no book. choices. Page 10, no choice. Page 16. Page Man. 18. Oh my God. Okay, we have like four more pages to read before we get oh a choice. So let's gosh. just blast them. Uh, the Marconi Room, the Radio Shack. <laughs> Wait, is it the Marconi Room or the Radio Shack? <laughs> is up forward on the port or left side of the ship. To get there, you walk along the deck to the other end of the ship. You and Jessica shiver in the Arctic air. Overhead, the night sky blazes with stars. Below, the ocean is glassy smooth. You're amazed at how calm the water is. There's not a ripple. Yesterday afternoon, Harold, one of the two radio operators, met you as he was leaving the shack. He invited you to drop by any time. Without knocking, you open the door and go in. Jessica behind you. A smell of hot electrical insulation hangs in the air. A man is on duty, but it's not Harold. Mind if we watch a minute? You ask. The operator doesn't hear you, or if he does, he's too busy to reply. He's wearing earphones and staring intently at a stack of papers. A blue spark flashes between the contacts of the radio telegraph key he's tapping with his index finger. You're entranced by the rhythmic Morse code and the sparking light. The message sounds important, but you can't understand it. Jessica does, though. You watch her concentrate on the pulsing beeps as you both stand nervously just inside the door. And there is again an illustration of a man operating the radio and then there's the spark like right up there you can see sure turn to page 10 okay suddenly an incoming signal blares from the earphone so loudly you can hear it across the room the operator tears the earphones from his head and smacks the stacks of paper with an exasperated look he wraps back a message he spots you and says not now too busy later out please you both nod and duck out, duck out the door. Jessica grabs your... That was my sexy man voice. I don't know why he's in this scene, sure. but he's here. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you both nod and duck out the door. Jessica grabs your arm. I think this is her speaking. 
That was weird. Those were private messages he was sending? Maybe to a land mess station for relaying. Messages like, meet you Wednesday at noon at the Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> then a signal came... Uh, oh, then a signal came in. He got flustered and told the guy to shut up and keep the air clear. Another ship must be nearby. What was the other ship saying? You ask. I couldn't get past the fir- I couldn't get the first part. Something like stopped surrounded by ice, Jessica says. Ice, icebergs, you say. <laughs> maybe we're coming into an ice field. Let's go on deck. We may be able to spot some. Icebergs! I'm cold <laughs> enough already. I'd rather go visit my friend the chief baker, Jessica says. She He's baking now. bread right now. Think of it, hot, fresh bread. Oh, come on, be a good sport. Let's see if we can spot a few icebergs. Then we'll warm up at the baker's, you say. Jessica reluctantly agrees. I'll get the binoculars and meet you on the promenade deck, you add. Turn to page 16. Still not to a choice yet. Um, This page has some very, like, stern-looking gentlemen on it. So all of you can see. Uh, You zip down the stairs to the stateroom you're sharing with Andrew. It's on B deck, a couple of decks below on the port side. As you reach your cabin door, you hear a loud voice inside. Uh, Let's see here. Safe, safe, hmm. (laughs) safest. (laughs) There's a lot of people on this boat. I'll do nerdy boy voice, but I'm going to hope my nose. Safe is there, I tell you. No one will think of a car's frame. The voice stops short as you knock a couple of times and enter. Andrew is talking to a dark-haired man. They both look at you sharply. Sorry, just want to get these, you say. You grab the binoculars from the table and leave. As soon as you're outside, you grimace with disgust. The man is Oscar Kilpatrick, a friend of Andrew's. He's got the t- He's on the Titanic at Queenstown, Ireland on Thursday afternoon. You don't like him. When he boarded, he greeted Andrew but ignored your offer to shake his hand. Ooh, the ultimate diss. Okay. Uh, turn to page 18. Oh, finally, a choice. You're still angry about that brush-off, that and the man's arrogant and patronizing manner. You have as little trust in Oscar as you do Andrew. You don't understand why your father chose Andrew as a partner. Sure, he's sharp in business, a real smooth operator. But that's the problem. <laughs> he's a little too sharp. You stop walking and think, what's in the frame of Andrew's car? Say from what? Andrew's rolls is in forward hold number two, way down on G-deck near the bow. You're headed that way. Andrew, if you go to meet Jessica with the binoculars, turn to page 12. If you postpone meeting Jessica to explore Andrew's car, turn to page 42. Okay, so I think we should mark this one. I am so bored of talking to Jessica <laughs> that I think we should probably go to page 42. Okay, okay. Yeah? 42. Uh, You hurry to the forward well deck, which shelters you from the icy air, and cross to the forecastle entrance up near the bow. You descend a steep spiral stairway and reach the car hold, five decks below the forecastle entrance. Man, this is a very detailed, like, schematic of the ship. Jim Wallace read a lot of books about boats to write this one. (laughs) About this specific boat. Um, inside the hold, it's quiet and smells of motor oil. Light gleams off the black Rolls Royce. Thick ropes around each axle, each axle anchor the car securely to the hold deck. You look around. You seem to be alone. You explore the car's frame. It's made of large pipe-like tubes. It's <laughs> a good description of a car. I mean, On the what year is this? You... This is 1910. Like, how many cars 12, have 19, you seen? 1912. How many cars have you seen? 
Uh, like three cars. On the okay. driver's side, you spot a metal end plate that seals one of the hollow tubes. You find a wrench in the car's toolkit, remove the bolts, and pull the plate off. You strain to see inside. It's too dark. You light a match. The flame reveals a foreign object lodge inside. You barely make out two rectangular objects wrapped in white cloth. The match dies, and you only have two more. You have our inventory up. <laughs> two matches. You find a wire and manage to hook one bundle and gently tug it up the frame tube. It falls onto the deck with a dull thud. Some of the cloth rips away. The next match you light reveals a bar of shiny metal almost a foot long. Gold, you whisper to yourself. It's a gold ingot. And here's a picture of a car. There's gold ingots don't know at what the a bottom. Car looks like. Yeah, there's some ingots at the bottom. Uh, turn to page 44. What are gold ingots doing in Andrew's car? Then it comes to you. Of course. The gold Buddha statues were fakes. These must be the real statues. Andrew's the one who swapped the gold statues with counterfeits and then had the original statues melted down into bars. A real Occam's razor now, situation. Now here. he's smuggling them into the United States. The ingots are too big and heavy for you to lug away alone. You decide to replace the gold bar and get above deck where you belong. You pause for a second. Are those footsteps you hear approaching? Your heart beats hard. No one comes. You rewrap the ingot. You kneel. <laughs> Half under the car, stuff the ingot back in the frame, and bolt the plate on. Bang! A deafening noise and shockwave reverberate through the car hold. The sound is like a huge steel vault banging vault door banging shut, but it lasts longer, tapering off into a series of rending, ripping sounds. A shuddering vibration lifts the car body above you. Turn to page 50. I wonder what happened. Okay, so some people in the chat are saying, I wish his name wasn't Andrew or that yours wasn't. So maybe we should call the character Andrew in the book something else. Would you think about that? Okay. Uh, You scream and cover your head with your hands, but the car body settles back without touching you. Feeling foolish, you roll out from under the car and run to the forecastle stairway. Did the Titanic hit something? The sound came from below. You rush down the stairs to explore. Below is another cargo deck. You open the door and see large, neatly stacked cases. You don't know what you're looking for, but you feel a vague dread. You descend up to the bottom of the stairs. Now you're at the bottom of the ship. A sign on the door says, Fireman's Passage, Crew Only. When you open it, you hear a hissing and gurgling. Water! A man hurries toward you along the passageway from the boiler rooms. Foaming green seawater is rising above the walkway. Sloshing through the swirling water, the man shouts, She's taking water! Clear back to number five boiler room! She's a goner, mate! Better clear out! You run up the stairs after him. At the car hold door, you pause. The gold! Should you save it, or should you get up on deck? So I will remind, it's okay, if you open the car, hold door, and try to salvage the gold, turn to page 41. If you continue up the stairs to the well deck to find Jessica and see what's happening up there, turn to page 46. I will remind you, okay, that a minute ago the gold was too heavy to take with us. Yeah. And also, if we're going to sink in water, I feel like <laughs> carrying a bunch of heavy gold around is not like the smartest idea. But yeah. I, But you can do whatever you want. I think we should probably get upstairs. I don't think we should. Like, what are we going to do with the money if we have it? (laughs) Spend it at the post office. Yeah. Buy a bunch of stamps, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's turn to page 46. See what Jessica's doing. Okay. Apparently, it looks like a version of the scream. Edward Munch's The Scream. I feel like the illustrations in this are not up to snuff. Like, yeah, it, it's a very different rough. style. It looks like this one was, was like scribbled in with marker. 
instead of yeah, like actually shaded. Really bizarre. Um, you hesitate, your hand on the door. You sense no vibration, none of the humming sounds a powered steamship makes. The engines must have stopped, you think. Uh, stopped, surrounded by ice, was the message. Oh, the, uh, yeah, that the message that the other ship radioed. Did the Titanic hit an iceberg? You leap up the forecastle stairway to look for Jessica. Two crew me- members hurry down the stairs. That iceberg was as tall as the ship. Lucky we nicked it. <laughs> Check the bow compartments and back to the boiler rooms. We may be taking water. Not likely the iceberg just crazed her. Aren't you in for a surprise, you think? She's taken lots of water. Why would you just tell them, you jerk? Just quietly. These dumb idiots have no idea how much water we're taking on. On the well deck, the open area between the Titanic superstructure and the forecastle, you spot Jessica. She and some others are playing soccer with a chunk of ice. That makes no sense. must be tons of ice lying in heaps on the well deck. Have you ever yeah. kicked a big chunk of ice? Like, it, it hurts. In, like, 1912 shoes? Like, yeah. that would hurt a lot. Um, Jessica kicks a big chunk to you. Where have you been? Where are the <laughs> binoculars you were going to get? You should have seen that iceberg the ship hit. It was huge. I left the binoculars down below, you say. You you pull her you pull her aside and tell her about the gold in the rolls frame. Jets of steam are blasting out of the escape pipes mounted on the three forward funnels. You guess the ship is releasing pressure in the boilers now that the engines are stopped. You don't say, Jessica exclaims. Gold, what are we going what are you going to do about it? She seems pretty nonchalant about it. She's kicking that ice, man. Ship sinking. Page forty eight, Andrew. I'd like to get it back to my father somehow, you say. Or at least let him know that Andrew's cheating him. Oh, did we? Were we going to call him something else? Like um, uh, options Ron. in the chat are Bandrew, Craig, <laughs> and uh, that's about it. Uh, we could call him Drew mm-hmm. or um, Drewbert, Bobby Drew, <laughs> Bobby Drew. Okay, <laughs> or something. Well, says Jessica, we could go back to the car and get the gold out. I'd like to see those gold bricks. Yes, but I don't want to draw attention to ourselves, you say. I don't want Bandrew or Oscar getting suspicious. Anyway, this iceberg hit seems kind of serious. <laughs> Why are we stopped? The Titanic is motion- motionless. Passengers up on the promenade deck walk along arm in arm, talking and laughing and pointing at the ice in the well deck where you're standing. Two girls are having a snowball fight with chunks of ice. Plumes of steam rise high above the resting ship. The roar of escaping steam sounds ominous, as though the ship were in pain. What should you do? If you return to the car with Jessica, turn to page 45. If you ask Jessica to explore aft along the passenger decks with you, you turn to page 52. Okay, so if we turn to page 45, are we just getting the car scene from the movie, is what I want to know. I... I don't know. I don't think I want to see the illustration that this book would give us if it was trying to paint someone like one of your French girls. Yes. Um, so maybe we explore the passenger decks aft, let's say. Uh, I'm going to go to page, so page 52? 52. Should we mark this one too? Yeah, sure. Okay, let me find another thing on my desk. Okay. We have somehow avoided a watery grave so far. Well, nobody's nobody's taking us seriously yet. Like, hmm, I wonder if it's bad for a boat oh to God. have a big hole in it. Okay. <laughs> Jessica, you say, 
Water's rising in the car hold. It's too risky. Let's see if we can find an officer and get some information. Maybe it's serious. Why else would they stop the ship? You climb this up. character's Britishness is kind of waxing and waning. Depends as... on how concerned he is, I think. <laughs> okay. You climb up to the starboard promenade, promenade deck. Through the windows of the smoking room, you see groups of men laughing and talking. No one's even looking outside. You can't find any officers, so Jessica goes to find her family. You stop by your cabin. Uh, Bandrew's Bandrew. in, in bed. <laughs> Bandrew, you better get up, you say, jostling him awake. We've hit an iceberg. It doesn't look good. A lot of water is coming in. Uh, does this guy have a voice yet? Yeah, he had a voice. I, we had, is uh, he the nerdy voice? I, yeah, I'd held my okay. nose and done the nerd voice. Huh? An iceberg? I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> and I'm a light sleeper, he says, sitting up on the edge of the bed. Don't worry, this ship's supposed to be unsinkable. Better get ready, just in case, you say. Maybe you should check with our steward if you can find him. I'll try to find out as much as I can. You think of going directly to the bridge this time, even though it's not allowed. Your hunch is that the man from the boiler room who told you the Titanic's a goner is right, but no one else seems to know or care. High up on the top deck, the boat deck, is the bridge, the Titanic's command post. That sentence sucks. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> High up on the top deck, the boat deck, is the bridge, the Titanic's command post. It's also where the lifeboats sit. You peer into a half-open window of the enclosed part of the bridge. Captain Smith and another man are examining a blueprint. You remain silent. <laughs> Why are they the looking at a blueprint? <laughs> this is what we got down here. What are these men just doing down here? Oof. No, I don't. This blueprint doesn't have a hole in it anywhere. I think something might be wrong. Do you want me to push through to the next choice? Yeah, Andrew? just do it. Yeah, okay. We got two pages to read here. Okay. Um. Oh, man, I need another voice. Um. Well, sir, I gave her an hour, an hour and a half at most, says the man who looks familiar to you. Um. Oh, who's that? Captain Smith. Okay. Um. What's like? Oh, do the do the pirate voice. I'll order the lifeboats readied, says Captain Smith. Uh, lifeboat capacity is about 1,000. There are more than 2,000 people aboard, the man says. Women and children first, says the captain. A man approaches the bridge and you slip away in the other direction, horrified at the information you just overheard. That is spooky. Your hunch was right. The Titanic is doomed and there's not enough lifeboat space for everyone. Your watch says 15 minutes past midnight. It's been about half an hour since the Titanic hit the iceberg. You feel numb. You can't believe that this wonder ship is going to sink. It feels like a rock under your feet. It's so big and the sea is so calm. Walking down several decks aft toward Jessica's cabin, you know it's true. The Titanic is sinking. What can you do if there aren't enough lifeboats? You recall suddenly who that man with Captain Smith is. He's the ship's engineer. He showed you around the ship's workshop. You saw carpentry supplies, planks, rope, and barrels. With help, you could build a decent raft in under an hour. Outside Jessica's cap <laughs> cabin, crafters. you feel a flutter of panic. She's not there. Maybe there's no time to build the raft, and you should just concentrate on finding your friend. Andrew, Since when is Jessica our friend is my question. We played gin rummy with her and were... For like an hour and we didn't even like her that much. <laughs> and we were annoyed by the voice I chose. Um, if you head for the workshops to start building the raft, turn to page 57. Or if you want to look for her in the Marconi room up on the boat deck, turn to page 59. Well, this... Okay, so this actually would be a, a case where I'm interested to see what the chat has to say about this. Because... 
I like my impulse is screw Jessica. I don't know her that well. We didn't like her that much in the first place. And this sure. boat is sinking. Like it's everyone for themselves. And okay. the captain said women and children first. So she is more likely to have a lifeboat. That's than true. We are. Yeah. And if she, if anything, like the, the feature film, she is going to find a door and cling to it and let us. Right. And like, not die. let me on and just like pretend that there's not enough room. Okay. okay so the, the, the chat seems the to chat think... is overwhelmingly in favor of screwing Jessica. <laughs> Emma says <laughs> Jessica's a woman and a child. She'll be fine. OK, let's turn to page 57. Andrew. Right, 57. Oh, man. All right. So like Gimli is here like <laughs> sneaking bread in the kitchen. <laughs> On your way to the workshop, you decide to stop at the baker's. Why? <laughs> you might be able to get some provisions for your raft. You descend the first-class staircase, go through a door, and down more stairs to the vast kitchens on D-deck amidships. The smell of fresh bread starts your mouth watering. There aren't enough lifeboats. I'm going to build a raft. Could you spare some bread? You ask a burly man, pulling a batch of bread out of the oven. A raft? Sounds a bit far-fetched to me, says the baker. I'm trying to get to A.M. walking here. Oh, oh, you're he's still a little too British though. He's a little too British. I mean it's nineteen twelve, everyone's hey, a little hey, more Andrew, British. Andrew, what? are you what? driving a car right now? I'm banging on its hood. I'm bang I'm banging on it. I want hey, hot dog. I'm walking here. There you go. <laughs> We're taking this bread up to stock the boats, but I can give you a loaf. Good luck. As you start to leave with the loaf tucked under your arm, a voice calls out from behind. Hey mate, that raft sounds like a good idea to me. You turn to see one of the bakers walking toward you. Mind if I join you? It may be the only way out for the likes of us. Name's McCracken, he says. You shake the flowery hand he extends to you. <laughs> turn to the next page. I guess I'll keep going. Okay. Yes, I can use your help, Mr. McCracken, you say. Come on. On the way to your stateroom, you hear a voice boom. Women and children in the boats first, please. Arr, I'm the captain. It sounds like it's coming through a megaphone way up forward. What a terrible captain. Hey, where have you been? Scrounging for bread at a time like this? You don't mind if I have a piece, do you? Asks Jessica. She and Bandrew are standing just outside the stateroom door. Where is anybody coming from? You introduce them to McCracken and outline your plan. Jessica says she'll help with the raft. Her father has gone up to the lifeboats. Bandrew, up and dressed now, says, I've checked with one of the ship's officers. You're right. It's women and children first, and there aren't enough lifeboats. I'm from the raft. I don't think the Titanic will sink, but just in case... No one can live long in the North Atlantic. That freezing water is certain death. Turn to page 69. Nice. So I just want to like clock that this is something that I don't think about in the era of, oh God, this image. Oh no. I just, um, I, in, in, in an era of plane travel, I certainly don't think about the slow motion catastrophe that a sinking ocean liner would be. Now, Andrew, can you make some noise so the camera cuts yeah, over there, here? Yeah, there we go. Here's the, the thing. Um, Gabriella said, bummer, the protagonist is male. And yeah, like these books sometimes are ambiguous about gender, but more often it assumes everyone is like a 10 or a 12 year old boy of some kind. Um, There are, I think more recent choose your own adventures style books have been more careful about like not assigning like gender or race or, or anything like that to, uh, to the characters. But you know, with, yeah, with the with these older like eighties and nineties ones, that was not a thing that people were worried about yet, unfortunately. Yeah. Anyway, uh, like we said leave Jessica alone. Like I I said specifically, 
screw Jessica, let's go build a raft. And then the book me was like, well, I know you made a choice to do a specific thing, but let's like go make friends with the bakers for like an hour first (laughs) and then hook up with these people we don't like again anyway. Yeah, the book is, she's like some sort of boomerang. Like we just keep trying to get rid of her. She's a bad penny. Uh, it takes you, Bandrew, Jessica, and McCracken. Well, what a crack team. <laughs> Half an hour. I think our party size is as big as it can get before we have to start leaving people in the wagon. It takes you half an hour to haul a pile of planks, hammers, nails, and barrels for flotation up to the aft well deck. It's the best place to build a raft. The Titanic is sinking bow first. The aft well deck is open near the supplies and a good location to launch the raft from. The Titanic's bow is noticeably lower now, and the well deck is slowly tipping to one side. She's listening to port now, Jessica says. She nails a large platform of planks she's laid out to four cross timbers. Everyone's below deck back here, you say? It's weird. Um, <laughs> What's going on down there, says a loud voice from the aft <laughs> bridge that runs along the poop deck in the stern. <laughs> oh, we found the poop deck. People it's were wondering. Qu- it's Quartermaster Row, one of the ship's helmsmen. Turn to the next page. Jeez. Do you want to do this one or should I? Um, You do this one. I'll make oh, this what choice. What was McCracken? Was he kind of, was he I'm walking here? Uh, he, McCracken is, no, McCracken is. Um, or he's like gruff British. He's like wobbly Brit. He's like, <laughs> no, he's like the, 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 uh, the Warcraft peon voice that you did. <laughs> We're building a raft. There aren't enough lifeboats, sir, said McCracken. Li- lifeboats? <laughs> yep, it's Ray Lifeboats? What? No one's told me anything. However, that ship's property you're using. You're unauthorized to do that, he says. He looks angry. Call the bridge, sir, you shout up to him. We had an iceberg an hour ago. Look, there's a lifeboat. You point to the starboard side of the well deck. A lifeboat drifts slowly astern, illuminated by blazing lights from the Titanic's upper decks. My God, (laughs) says the quartermaster (laughs) and picks up the aft bridge telephone. A moment later, he rushes off the bridge, goes below and disappears forward, carrying a metal case. Communication could be better on this shit, says McCracken. Uh, Well, what we have to figure out now is how to get this monster over the side without smashing it or having it fall into the water upside down, you say. McCracken, Bandrew, and you fit empty wooden barrels under the platform and lash them on with rope, pass through some metal rings Andrew found in the workshop. No one's doing a skill check on any of this. No, nothing. Everybody's just assuming that they're rolling okay. Nothing says we can't use that cargo crane up there, says McCracken. It's the latest thing. Run by electricity. Science is the future. (laughs) He points to one of the cranes near the raft. Its hook hangs high above you. Go to the next page. Um, I guess I can finish this out. Can you run it? You ask. Me bunkmate's the one who runs it. I've watched him, says McCracken. You wonder about the wisdom of getting the raft into the water by using the crane. It's risky. Running the crane may draw too much attention to your project and someone could interfere. You could just wait and let the Titanic sink out from under the raft, (laughs) but the ship could take such an angle as it sinks that the raft might get tangled or mashed against something on the deck. Um, If you decide to wait and let the raft float free from the ship naturally, turn to page 76. If you ask McCracken to run the crane, turn to page 93. I I don't think... I've seen this film i think the boat's gonna go bad i would like to use the crane because science is the future well there's all that um like the the pressure that gets that happens when anything big goes underwater like the oh, suction yeah. of it like i think the rocket could just, just get sucked down yeah okay so we're gonna go to 93 
Spin asks, what would a baker know about a crane? And he explained it. His bunkmate is the one who runs it. And I've watched him. Yeah. And you're uh, our our expert protagonist was like, hmm, I'm worried about the physics of the boat, not worried about the guy <laughs> driving the crane. So we're we're having McCracken run the crane. Is that what you said? I believe so. Yeah. All right. Turn to page 93 then. OK, let's hoist it with the crane, you say. McCracken releases the storage tie downs. Jessica rigs some lines from each corner of the raft to meet over it. We are yeah, all like, why is Jessica an expert? At all this Gosh. Stuff. Um, McCracken swings the cargo crane over the raft. All you hear is the whir of its gears. The electric motor is quiet. He lowers the crane's boom and poises it over the raft. Jessica grabs the hook and loops the lines over it. Take it up, you yell, and jump onto the raft. You steady yourself by grabbing the lines that join in a pyramid above your head. You're afraid the whole thing will tip and dump you, but McCracken is smooth, and miraculously, the raft lifts, levels, and gently descends clear of the Titanic side. The lit portholes blink by you as you glide gently onto the water. Hold it! Perfect! You shout up to McCracken. Slide down the lines! The Titanic's sinking fast! Turn to page 95. This is quite an illustration. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So someone like I think that's Jessica being lowered down and someone's throwing a book. That might be Bandrew because he looks mad. I think it's a briefcase. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe it's a briefcase. I can't tell. It's it's a weird. It's not super clear what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, this is weird. All right. Marta says this book reads like a technical manual. Yeah, definitely. It's very. um, The water rises to one of the open portholes in front of you and flows inside in a silver cascade. Jessica, see if you can find your father. We have to unhook the raft soon, you call. She takes off. Along with McCracken, a crowd of people appear at the rail, some holding children. Come on, you motion to them. Jessica slides down with her father. and Oh, she got him already. Okay. So she came back. Jessica slides down with her father and says, Bandrew's brought a friend. At the rail, Oscar Kilpatrick is motioning to you. He and Andrew are ho- he and Bandrew are holding a fat leather satchel, which say drop down to you. Turn to the next page. I can do this one so you can make the next choice. Sure, okay. Okay, okay, I see you, you call. Get down here. The bag the bag the bag is heavy. The bag, <laughs> the bag You're is sh- heavy. You're sh- some of the gold is in it for the first time oscar acknowledges you with a nod of thanks he's shaking with fear others leap into the water and climb onto the raft the raft floats well on the glassy water you cast off the lines to the hook let's get out of here says jessica the ship will suck us down if it sinks you realize in horror that you have nothing to paddle with. Everyone, <laughs> frant- everyone <laughs> frantically tries paddling with their hands and feet, but the raft stays glued to the side of the ship. Something bounces off the raft. Startled, you look up. Towering 150 feet straight above you and tipping over the raft is the Titanic's stern. It's vertical, pointing straight up at the sky. Everyone's looking up. She's going to crush us. Help my daughter. Jump! Uh, it doesn't say who it, who's speaking. Doesn't matter. It's fine. Uh, someone dives in. Andrew, if you jump to turn to page one hundred nine, if you stick with the raft, turn to page one twelve. I mean, if we jump in the freezing ocean water, that's like good night, Irene, right? Like that's. I think we, so. You got to stay with that raft, I bud. Think we're staying with the raft. I Tyson Fien asks, "How big is the raft?" I have no idea, but it does seem. <laughs> 
that its size kind of shifts depending I'm waiting on for this to go life to like go full life of pie in yeah, a few right. pages. <laughs> you stay calm, fascinated by the spectacle of the great ship's stern blocking the stairs. Let's paddle all together. Go, you say. The raft moves a few feet from the ship's vertical side. The Titanic is sinking so slowly and evenly that the only mark of motion is a ring of white foam around the boat. Clusters of people cling to the ship, then drop off into the sea, screaming. Only a few make it to the raft. Look at that fellow, Jessica says. A man is calmly picking his way onto the stern plates as they rise. He's balancing himself perfectly, standing straight up above the stern railing. Always finding the level, he rides the stern straight down out of the night sky. The stern disappears with a gurgling sound, and the man calmly steps off into the water as though he were getting out of an elevator. It's the chief baker, you say, and throw him a rope. You pull him up onto the raft. He recognizes you. Sorry, I didn't bring any bread. Wait, it was he's I'm walking here, right? I have no idea. Yes, he was. Yes. Sorry, I didn't bring... I just can't do not British right now, hey, and we're hey, almost hey, to an hey, ending, hey, so... Hey, my hey, dude, hey. Hey, sorry, hey, hey, sorry, I didn't bring any bread. <laughs> hey, but I do have this. Bada-bing! He reaches into his hip pocket and passes around a box of chocolate candies. Shortly after dawn, a ship picks you up. Banjo and his friend give you a check for $5,000 later that day. You use it to buy the grand piano of your dreams, the end. <laughs> Whoa. A picture of, I guess, me playing this amazing like, piano I, that I bought with the, my blood money. Wait, what is the concert where you dress as a like ghost and all the other ghosts just stand right behind you and listen? Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So let's let's unpack this ending. This is our first ending. Yes. Um <laughs> The Baker so, is good amazing. ending for us. Yes, because we, we won. survived. And we saved Jessica despite our best efforts. <laughs> and we got $5,000 and we got a cool piano. Now, we did watch a lot of people die. So it does feel a little bit weird to be like, oh, all these people are screaming and they get sucked down with the boat, whatever, whatever. But you get a check for $5,000, so it's fine. And, like, the dude walked literally off of a sinking ship and handed out candies. Yeah. It's pretty rad. Yeah, that's pretty boss. But di- uh, a couple thousand people did die, so... I mean, that's not that many people. Hmm. <laughs> not that many people on this we boat. We bookmarked two choices, Andrew. Okay. Um, one was the car that we could have gone to with Jessica. Mm-hmm. And one was whether we were going to meet her with our binoculars. This was pretty early. Or whether like, we let's go let's go meet her with the binoculars and see if we can like keep the ship from hitting the iceberg in the first place. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm we're gonna change history now. Let's do it. We're gonna uh, quantum leap. Back page twelve. Into, the boat. The boat six. Character. All right, page twelve. <laughs> um. All right. Should I just start us up? Yeah. Do it. You decide to let the mystery in Andrew's car go. Bandrew's car go for the moment. No one can leave the ship until it docks in New York in a couple of days, so it can wait. Which is definitely going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Jessica is squatting behind the promenade deck railing where it curves around the forward section of the ship on the starboard side. <laughs> what? I kind of get lost in these if sentences. The, I'm the sorry. The Titanic is going from London to New York at 48 <laughs> knots and the New York is going the other direction at 27 knots. And Jessica standing on the will top. will they both hit the iceberg? Yeah. Um, you stand under the bridge with a clear view of the crow's nest and beyond it the bow you hand her the binoculars. Go to the next page. 
It's beastly cold, she chatters after a couple of minutes. I can see any I can't see any more with these than I can without them. Just smooth black sea. I'm turning in. She hands the binoculars to you and leaves. Well, that was easy. Okay. For a couple of minutes, you sweep the horizon in front of the Titanic. Just as Jessica said, there's nothing but darkness. Is this stars... like Schrodinger's iceberg? Yeah. The stars... And we've changed the result by observing it? Just by looking. The stars yeah. look brighter through the binoculars, though. The great bronze capstans near the bow glint under the stars. You train your gaze on the two lookouts more than 30 feet above you in the crow's nest. Funny. They don't have binoculars. That is you funny. S- you sw- haha! You sweep the horizon another time. You catch a point of light that shimmers faintly. It's duller than starlight. Maybe it's a reflection. Turn to page fifteen. Okay, here's just here's a picture of an iceberg, just in case you needed to. What? That's what I would draw if it was an iceberg. If you That's... told me, Andrew, you have five minutes to illustrate this entire book, I'd be like, all right, boom, iceberg. That's like what comes, that's like what happens in like a stein when you like fill it with a bunch of ice cubes from your fridge and mm-hmm. then it just like, what is they that? They all meld together into a big mass of ice. Okay, go for it. You strain to see it's massive, filling the view of your binoculars. Well, is it small and hard to see or is it massive? <laughs> It's massive, filling the view of your binoculars, but fixed, so it can't be another sea craft. It glows eerily against the dark sea. The starlight bounces off its reflective edges so that it looks as lit up as a small city in the distance. It's an iceberg. I don't know how any of that leads you to iceberg, but fine. Wow. What? Wow, you gasp. (laughs) The lookouts are staring right in its direction, but they can't see it without binoculars. You keep watching as the iceberg gets bigger. Do you dare run up to the bridge where no passengers are allowed and warn the officer on duty? Or should you tip off the lookouts and let them deal with it? Maybe you should wait a little until it can be seen more clearly. If you call to the lookouts, turn to page 11. If you take time to make sure it's an iceberg before going for help, turn to page 21. If you go directly to the bridge, turn to page 24. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that that page 21 is not an option because it is it's obviously an iceberg. We're reading a book about the Titanic. It's an iceberg. Okay. I would like to go right to the bridge. I feel like I am a classical pianist. People should respect me. Tysophene points out that the iceberg looks like the aggro crag it from does. Nickelodeon Guts. It does. Um, yeah, I'm going to go right to the captain and make it happen um, on page 24. All right, straight to the bridge. I'm going to bookmark this one just in case we want to yeah, call to the lookouts sure. instead. But the lookouts seem like dumb demos, so... You ignore your fear running up the st- of captains running up the steps of breaking to the- rules. <laughs> okay, <laughs> running up the steps to the bridge on the topmost deck. It's called the boat deck, and it's where the lifeboats are. <laughs> <laughs> this boat has a deck for everything. Uh, you're in luck, First Officer Murdoch, who let you look at the bridge the other night, is on duty. Sir, you say, gasping for breath, as you open the door. Iceberg, you point dead ahead. Murdoch whips his binoculars up, stares intently for a second, and leaps to the wheelhouse. Hard a starboard, he commands the Hard man. a starboard. It's not hard a starboard. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying out a new voice at the same time I was reading. <laughs> hard a starboard. He com- He's just like kind of a really intense guy. He commands the man at the wheel. Your heart pounds. From inside the bridge, you watch the dark mass grow distinct through your binoculars. Clear now is the tri- triangular peak that you saw reflecting the starlight. It's getting bigger. 
Half a minute goes by, and still the Titanic hasn't begun to turn. Then two things happen. Clang, clang, clang! The bronze bell in the crow's nest rings three times. They've spotted the danger. And then the, job, the guys. then the ship's bow starts to move slowly to port. You watch it trace a smooth arc against a few low-hanging stars near the horizon. Your mouth opens. The iceberg's tip looks as high as the Titanic's bridge. It seems certain that the ship is going to smash into the looming, glistening mountain of ice. A few seconds later, the bow clears the iceberg and the Titanic surges past it. Uh, Lord, narrow shave! The junior officer on the bridge mutters shakily. Uh, Murdoch walks over to you and says, I shall commend your action to the captain. You're not certain what that means. <laughs> Just look, I guess, you say, trying to cover up the fact that you're breathing hard from excitement and fear. Should should the ship go slower tonight? If there are more icebergs... Thanks! Visibility is excellent tonight! Time for you to leave! We've a work to do! He says with a smile. We Smile. Um, as you leave, you overhear him tell a man who's just come on the bridge, Mr. Oliver, take these glasses to Fleet and Lee in the crow's nest. Turn to the next page. Do you want me to Jeez. do this or do you want to do this? It just keeps going for a while. Oh my I, God. I can take it. Please, t- please. <sighs> the next evening, you're sitting at the captain's table as a guest of honor along with Bandrew and your friend Jessica. Really overselling my relationship with Jessica. The table is in a recessed bay of the huge first-class dining room. The room is beautiful, with splendid white walls and a molded ceiling. Uh, The captain is an old, white-haired man with a full beard. His voice is soft, low, and reassuring. No, it's not. (laughs) Also at the table is a quiet man, Mr. Ismay, head of the White Star Line. He and the captain have promised you a special tour of the Titanic from stem to stern, all decks, with an engineer to answer your questions about the super-powerful steam engines. Boy, and I hope we get every single detail. The whole evening seems unreal, but soon you and Jessica become bored with the polite conversation. You've got something else on your mind anyway. The mystery of what's in Andrew's car. (laughs) This has been bothering you ever since you overheard Bandrew and Oscar's conversation. Whatever it is, you suspect it's illegal. Bandrew seems nervous. He's talking loudly to Mr. Ismay about a shipment of his and your father's. Turn to the next page. This this Choose Your Own Adventure book is just a book. So much... Over at another table, you see Oscar Kilpatrick. He looks nervous, too. Dinner's over. You're trying to figure out the best way to get a look at that car. First, you have to find out something. Captain, sir, when do you expect us to dock in New York City? You ask. Tuesday evening, he answers. We're making good time again, thanks to you. Tuesday evening? That's tomorrow night, earlier than expected. Doesn't give you much time to search the car. During a pause in the conversation, you and Jessica politely excuse yourselves and leave. Wait, 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 wait. So we avoided the iceberg, and now this is just like a boat caper? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Also, we're getting to New York City early because we didn't hit the iceberg. Yeah. We're making good time because we didn't hit an iceberg. <laughs> great. Jessica, tonight's the night to ex- explore Bandrew's car, you say outside the dining room. We may dock tomorrow night. I'm ready, says Jessica. She slips back to her father's cabin to get his new battery-powered light yeah, in 1912. Hold on. You meet you Jessica at the forecastle entrance when and descend the spiral staircase to the car hold. Invented. Five decks below the entrance. Oh, it's 
It's quiet in the hold with only the steady hum of the ship's engines vibrating the deck. You locate Andrew's Black Rolls Royce and with the Andrew's Black Rolls Royce and with the help of Jessica's flashlight and the car's toolkit, explore the frame. On the driver's side, you discover two oblong objects wrapped in white cloth. You manage to slide one out of the frame. It lands on the wood deck with a dull thud. Jessica pulls the wrapping off to reveal a gleaming metal bar. Turn to the next page. It's gold, you exclaim. <laughs> gold! What's Andrew doing with gold hidden in his car? Jessica asks. I think I know, you reply. I think the gold is my father's. We'd better get the other one out and take them with us. But what will we do with them? And what do you mean you think the gold belongs to your father? She asks. I'll explain later. Help me get the other one out. I don't think Bandrew will have a chance to check the car before the ship docks. You're sure the bars are from the gold statues. Andrew probably replaced the real statues with lead counterfeits, then melded the originals down into these ingots. Now he's trying to smuggle them into the United States, and somehow Oscar is involved in this scam. Somehow Oscar's involved. But the bars are too heavy to carry, <laughs> protests Jessica. And what if Oscar Bandrew does decide to check the car? We could be in big trouble. She's right. The bars are heavy, and you're not sure where to hide them. On the other hand, few people are wandering around this late at night. No one is likely to see you. You need just ten minutes or less to get the bars out of the hold and into a safe place above decks. If you leave the gold in the rolls, turn to the next page. If you take the gold ingots out of the car hold, turn to page 36. I think the most different from our previous timeline is to take the gold out of the car. Yeah, think about how many good pianos we could buy if we... (laughs) Have these ingots. So I'm going to turn to page 36. All right, great. Yeah, this is just a caper now, huh? Mm-hmm. Even if Andrew and Oscar check the car and find the gold missing, there's no reason they would suspect us, you, reassure, you reassure Jessica. Besides, once the ship docks, we may never get another chance to get the gold. You and Jessica each take... She is really into you and your gold nonsense, having just met you yesterday. Well, I mean, it's a big bar of gold. That's true. Um, you and Jessica each take a bar and slip it under your jackets. We can't risk holding, hiding them in our cabins. Let's stash them in one of the lifeboats, you say. It's difficult keeping the heavy bar hidden under your jacket as you ascend the spiral staircase. You climb three more flights to reach the boat deck where the lifeboats are located. It's on a level with the bridge. A short distance between the deck, you see a figure emerge from a doorway. Quick, you whisper to Jessica, we've got to dump this gold. <laughs> <laughs> the ingots under the canvas covering of the lifeboat nearest you does oscar have a voice yet is this oscar it says it says it's going to be oscar um no i don't think he has a voice yet um let's do something not british okay um everybody's like drifted british in this episode hey there says the man you recognize the voice it's oscar what are you two doing here I thought you'd gone to bed. We decided to stroll around the ship first, you say, trying to sound nonchalant. Why are you hanging around the lifeboats, Oscar asks. (laughs) He sounds suspicious. We were just checking out the davits to see how they work, you say. Well, we're going to turn in. See you later. (laughs) You hurry away with Jessica. The perfect crime. I'll keep rocking. Uh, Phew, that was close, you say to Jessica when you're out of Oscar's earshot. Do you think he saw the ingots? Jessica asks. No, it was too dark, you say with more confidence than... Oh, sorry. No, it was too dark, you say with more confidence than you feel. Uh, How are we going to get the gold when the ship docks tomorrow? Asks Jessica. 
When the first-class passengers are lining up to disembark, meet me by the lifeboat with a small carrying case, you say. We'll each off an ingot as part of our luggage. Just be sure not to let anyone touch your case. When you duck, <laughs> everything goes as planned. There is just one moment of panic. When, whoa, the boat just docked. When yeah, you dock, docked, everything we, goes Titan- as We've planned. changed history. There is just one moment of panic when Oscar offers to carry your case, but you insist on carrying it yourself. You, if you see something, say something. You just hope you haven't aroused his suspicions by being too insistent. 39, Andrew. Oh, gosh. You, Andrew, Jessica, and her father are staying at the Waldorf Astoria. You arrange to stay with Jessica and her father, figuring it's a safer place for you and the gold. On your first night, Mr. Stites goes to visit a friend. You and Jessica stay behind in the hotel room to discuss what to do with the gold. I think I should telegram my father and tell him what's happening, you say. There's a knock at the door. You exchange glances. Neither of you is expecting anyone. The knock is repeated. Cautiously, you open the door a crack. The first thing you see is the dull glare of a pistol, followed by Oscar's hog-like face. (laughs) His angry sneer reveals confidence that he's about to get what he wants. Well, I think, how, can you give me he's, some Oscar again? He's like he's, surfer sexy boy. He's very American and everything okay. sort of sexy. I think you'd better let me in, he says. <laughs> Turn to the next page. Should I just do the ending? Yeah, just do the ending. Okay, kid. Where's the gold? Oscar growls. And don't play dumb. I know you've got it here. You nod to Jessica, who opens her case, revealing the bar of gold. Oscar immediately strides over to examine it. For a moment, he stands with his back to you, ignoring you. You creep up behind him with your case containing the other ingot, and with all your strength, strike him on the back of the head. He instantly crumples to the floor. Time to call the police, you say to Jessica, and explain everything. Andrew, Bander and Oscar are arrested for grand larceny. You, re- you receive commendation for your role in saving the Titanic and for your brave actions leading to the arrest of the criminals. Best of all, your father agrees to split the profits from the sale of the gold with you, and you are able to buy the grand piano of your dreams, blah, 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 the end. <laughs> How do we keep getting pianos out of the deal but like that's our greatest ambition is just to like find get enough money like regardless of what happens to anybody else to buy the grand piano of our dreams just ride a big boat and end up with a piano man so we're kind of at time like do you want to go back to another choice and just see what's up or what yeah maybe you want to leave the gold in the rolls let's leave the gold in the rolls um which page was that that's 31 so turn to 32 okay okay you decide it's safer to leave the gold where you found it but it's not as easy to get the gold bar back inside the car's frame as it was to pull it out while Jessica holds the light, you struggle and push. It's an awkward position, and your arms are getting tired. Then you think you hear footsteps. What's that? You whisper to Jessica. Someone's come into the hold, Jessica whispers back. Quick, turn off the light and crawl under the car. The two of you huddle together under the Rolls Royce, not daring to breathe. The footsteps grow louder. A pair of men's shoes stops right next to the Rolls. You recognize Andrew's brown and white wingtips. You hear him talk to himself quietly. What a beautiful car, he murmurs. <laughs> he nonchalantly leans against Weird it. Salad fingers, car And voice. about to make me incredibly wealthy, he adds incriminatingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Will this ever end, you think? Finally, he finishes. You're about to breathe a sigh of relief when Jessica makes a noise trying to stifle a sneeze. Turn to page 35. Take it, Andrew. Instantly, Bandrew is kneeling down, peering under the car. What? Who's there? What are you doing under my car? You're still holding the gold ingot. You'll have to tell him the truth. You tell him about the conversation you overheard between him and Oscar, but leave out the part about your suspicions concerning the gold Buddha statues. I was just curious to find out what was in your car, you say. I was trying to get the gold back in the frame when you came in. Bandrew looks at you coolly for a moment. Okay, he finally says. I believe you, but I'd better not catch you snooping around this hold again, and you'd better not bring the word of this to anyone, or you might just have an unfortunate accident. Do you get my meaning? You nod vigorously. I'll be watching you, he adds as you and Jessica leave the hold. You still hope to get a message back to your father about the gold once the ship docks in New York, but it's going to be difficult with Bandra and Oscar watching your every move. The end. So there is a photo. There is a, I almost said photo. There's a photo of this story. <laughs> Uh, where it looks like maybe you're getting crushed by the car, which is what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. No, it's, but, just, it's just Bandrew like pointing at us and being like, "Jacuzzi, you got my gold." Yeah, and so you clearly can't do anything about it. You've you've been caught. Um, so that wasn't as spooky as I'd hoped, Andrew. <sighs> yeah, I mean, there was no terror. I was hoping for kind of a haunting, like some kind yeah. of haunting, like a ghost or something. I was surprised and, that we started the story in 1912. I mm-hmm. thought maybe we were going to get time traveled. Yeah, usually, yeah, there is like a time travel situation, and then you can. I'm just, I'm surprised that they let us save the Titanic, and then it was just about this, <laughs> like the legend of Oscar's gold for the rest of the time. And like, are you really gonna be able to prove that it's the same gold that was the Buddha's? Like that seems seems like a reach yeah i'm not i'm not sure how you like i guess you like contact the people who sent you the buddha statues and say hey were they gold when you sent them and they say yes and then you say well they're not anymore and i'm not sure what forensic like csi gold bar lab (laughs) is able to analyze this data for you i'm also a little disappointed that our piano playing expertise only factored into our endings as like Oh yay, we got a piano. You thought you wanted to have like some kind of piano playing gambit where we <laughs> distracted somebody with our beautiful piano playing while like Jessica stole the bars or something. Yeah, or like maybe we end up playing the piano while the boat goes down. Stephanie asked you, we think there is an ending where you drown. I'm almost sure. Um yeah, oh, wow. like if you go to the last page, 122, the White Star Line hires several ships to search the sea for bodies. Three weeks later, one of these ships finds lifeboat number seven still floating, but with no survivors on board. I assume lifeboat number seven is the one that we hopped on. Yes. And there's at least one that I'm one or two that I'm seeing a little earlier that are like you're on a lifeboat and you're just kind of like hoping for the best. And I think that time if we jumped off the the raft that we made instead of holding you know having faith in our raft and our bakered friends yeah that uh we probably would have died in the ocean too um people really don't like jessica and i agree i fully agree i've got nothing (laughs) i i certainly think i uh, the voice my like young mrs doubtfire that i tried to choose Mm -hmm. um which quickly became something else i don't think that that helped but 
She was just kind of thrown at us and then didn't do anything. Yeah, she was just like a friend of convenience because she's kind of our age and on this boat with us. But we and we didn't like her that much. But all of a sudden she stuck to us like glue and we can't get rid of her. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I wish we'd spent more time with the baker. He seemed like a cool guy. McCracken or the 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 guy with the chocolate. Yeah, the guy with the chocolates who just walked off a sinking boat onto Mm -hmm. our raft like a boss. Dove ex machina. Like Dove chocolates. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Well, Andrew, I'm glad that we were able to change history. I'm glad we were too. I'm distinctly not terrified though. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm terrified of what would have happened if we hadn't saved that boat. Sure. I'm terrified. <laughs> Great. Um, well, thanks everybody uh, in the chat for for hanging out with us. Um, as I said at the top of the show, if you want to know more about how to join us for these um, every other month live recordings, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/OverduePod. If you have any more thoughts about the Titanic, you can uh, send them to us at OverduePod at gmail.com, Facebook.com slash OverduePod, or Twitter.com slash OverduePod. Um, Andrew, if folks need to know more about the show, where do they go? They go to OverduePodcast.com, he said incriminatingly. <laughs> <laughs> Up there, we've got links to iTunes, RSS, Google Play. Y'all know the drill. Um, Patreon.com slash OverduePod is our Patreon. And... I think that's like all we need to talk about. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for supporting us, people in the chat. Yeah. And people who couldn't make it and future supporters who might not support us now, but you support us in the future because, you know, you make the choices. You live with the consequences. Choose your own adventure. But don't worry. You can always go back and make them again. If you give us enough money, we can buy the grand piano of our dreams, which is obviously any boy's greatest wish. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for coming and hanging out and saving the Titanic with us. Until we see you next time, everyone, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.